morning we are going to be in the book of John. And uh, I mentioned last week that we are going to be starting the book of Timothy in the fall. And we are going to get to Timothy. But I thought it would be good if we um, first went through a... Uh, uh, a short series in the book of uh, John as we look at the seven signs, the seven miracles of uh, Jesus. And so this series is entitled, I Believe. And uh, and so if you have your Bibles, I want us to look at uh, the first 11 verses of John chapter 2 as we look at the first miracle that uh, Jesus uh, performed as he began his ministry on earth. John 2 verse 1 says this, And on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wines first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, I believe that uh, you have a word for all of us this morning. Lord, as we look at this, this subject of you turning water to wine, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would, uh, see the deeping, deeper meaning behind this story. We, for many of us, are very familiar with this story. But God, you are manifesting more of, of, of your son's self to us that we might see his glory. So, Lord, if if there's one here this morning where the wine has run dry in their heart and life, God, I pray that they would trust you and that, God, that you would turn their dryness back into new wine that will glorify you. That God, that you would glorify yourself in and through it. So bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this is the first of seven signs. The Bible says that Jesus, uh, there were 36 miracles that were recorded in the New Testament, in the four Gospels. And John requ- uh, records seven of those. And, uh, and as John writes about these miracles, the purpose of John writing these miracles is found in verse 11 of chapter 2. He says these, these, the first of this sign, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. John is wanting us to see the glory of Jesus. He wants us to know more of who he is, his character and his nature. And so this morning, we're going to look at the deeper meaning of this very familiar story. And, uh, you know, some ask, well, why is this story of Jesus turning water into wine here? Why did Jesus do that? You know, and some might think that uh, he did that so that uh, Christians could argue over the last 2,000 years, was it alcohol or grape juice? But that wasn't Jesus's uh, intent. There is a deeper meaning here this morning that I hope that we can all plug into. And so this is the first sign. And this story uh, revolves around a crisis. The wine has run out. And Jesus turns this water into wine in the most unconventional way. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But first, I want to talk about what wine represents. Wine represents joy. It symbolizes joy. And uh, and that's what we see in this passage of Scripture here. And that's what the Bible tells us uh, in relationship with wine. Wine symbolizes joy. And there's a couple verses I want to point out to you and uh, references in your, are in your outline this morning. But Psalm 104 verses 14 and 15 says this. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine, gladden, wine that gladdens human hearts. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. If you read uh, the the prophets, the minor prophets of the Old Testament, Testament, we learn that uh, one day God is going to reset all of creation back to its original purpose. And uh, when he resets uh, all of creation back to its original purpose, uh, eternity is going to be full of, it's going to be fruitful and plentiful, and it's going to include wine. Look what the Bible says in Amos chapter 9, verses 13 through 15. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from the exile. 
They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land and never again to be rooted, uprooted from the land I have given them. And so in eternity, when God resets all of creation, the presence of God is going to be there. Wine is going to be there. It symbolizes God's abundance, God's blessings, and we're going to be able to celebrate with him for all eternity. Wine represents joy. Now, the Bible is clear when it comes to wine that we are not to be drunk with wine. But uh, we're not going to talk about alcohol this morning. That's for an, another day. But when it comes to uh, the God's creation with wine, it symbolizes joy. One rabbi said this, that a life without wine is a life without joy. And so as we look at this text this morning, uh, wine symbolizes joy, but when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, only Jesus can create true joy. Okay, so where I'm wanting to go this morning is what happens if our joy run, or if our wine runs dry? If our joy runs dry. Because that's what happened in this story this morning. Uh, the wine ran out. Now, I want you to think of this wine at this wedding celebration. Okay, The Bible says this is the third day of the wedding celebration. And uh, when in Jewish culture, when a, when a man and woman got married... Uh, this was an all-week event. You know, after the ceremony, they didn't go away for a honeymoon. They stayed at their house, and they had an open house all week long to celebrate. And so the, the community, the family, and friends would come, and uh, it would just be a huge festive celebration. And it was... The bridegroom's responsibility, him and his family, the bridegroom's responsibility to provide the resources for that wedding celebration, including the wine. And if the wine ran, and the wine was really important because it represented joy, and if the wine ran out, that was a huge faux pas. It was an embarrassment to the family because they didn't have enough resources to provide for all of their guests. And so there was a great deal of shame that accompanied that. And so as we look at the wine from the family's perspective this morning, I want you to see um, the family providing the wine and them trying to manufacture the joy that symbolized their marriage, okay? And that manufactured joy ran dry. And there's some of you here this morning, 
your manufactured joy has run dry or at one point did run dry. You know, you were kind of like this married couple in John chapter 2. You had big plans for your life or you had significant dreams and you were pursuing those dreams but those dreams ran dry. The Bible says that Mary was at this wedding celebration. Mary uh, probably had a, a significant part in this because when the wine ran dry, she took it personally. And when she saw the wine run dry, she wanted to do something about it. And she went to the person who could do something about it. She went to Jesus. Why did she go to Jesus? Because she knew Jesus was the answer. Now, as far as we know from the Gospels, this is Jesus' first miracle. And so we're, we don't know if Jesus, Mary had seen Jesus performed um, another miracle um, before this point. The scripture doesn't indicate that. But she knew Jesus had the answer. Think about this for a moment. Jesus is 30 years old. I'm sure Jesus, Mary had seen a lot of problems in her life. And of all her children who could solve the problem, it was Jesus. And Jesus, Mary knew that Jesus had the answer. And I want you to know, friend, Jesus is the answer. I'm trying to get the worship team to play this worship song by Jeremy Camp that's brand new called The Answer. It's a great song because Jesus is the answer. Mary knew that Jesus was the answer, and so she went to Jesus. My friend, if your wine has run dry this morning, Jesus is the answer. Some of you know by experience that your wine did run dry, but Jesus created new wine in your life. Some of you have been through a divorce. I mean, you had huge hopes and dreams for that initial marriage relationship. But somehow, some way, that relationship went south. And your hopes and your dreams and your joy ran dry. But you went to Jesus. And Jesus created new joy, new life from a difficult situation. Some of you have dreams of a future. And God has slammed the door shut on those dreams. From this text this morning, John is wanting you and I to know that Jesus is the answer. And if your wine has run dry, the story isn't over. 
Mary knew to go to Jesus. And John wants you to know that you can go to Jesus as well. Joy isn't found in our manufactured hopes and dreams. It's kind of like this picture of the donkey. We're all kind of familiar with that donkey, aren't we? We're always pursuing the carrot. That's, it's the, it's our manufactured hopes and dreams that keep us going. But sometimes they disappear. And in their disappearing, God wants you to know that He's there and that we need to take it to Jesus. And so Mary took it to Jesus. Mary didn't know how Jesus was going to solve the problem, but Mary, Jesus had the answer to the problem. Now, in Mary taking it to Jesus, she kind of overstepped her bounds. She kind of comes across as if uh, she's demanding something of Jesus. And then Jesus says this in verse 4 of chapter 2. He says, Woman... What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That kind of sounds disrespectful, doesn't it? Woman. But, you know, Jesus is drawing a boundary line now. Mary isn't just Jesus' mother. Jesus is also Mary's savior. And Jesus is telling Mary, woman, my time hasn't come yet. What's his time? His time is when he's going to be crucified. He's going to become our redeemer, our salvation. Jesus's ministry is just beginning. And so he draws a line and says, my time hasn't come yet. And so Mary walks away in verse 5 and says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I guess Jesus thought about it for a moment. And his heavenly father revealed to Jesus, yeah, you can do something about this. And so Jesus does it in the most unconventional way. you would expect that Jesus would take the containers that all this wine had been in and that uh, that he would refill those wine containers. But he doesn't refill the wine containers. He goes to the ceremonial purification containers. Six jugs. Now, it's significant about the number six. Number six is the number for imperfection. The the holy number, the perfect number in the Bible is the number seven. But there's six water containers here. And um, symbolizing that uh, this purification that the Jews go through, that it falls short to the purification that Christ can do in our lives. Now, why are those purification t- containers there? 
Well, <clears throat> big, big um, celebration going on. And as Jews come to this celebration, they've got to clean themselves. They've got to clean their hands. And the law says they have to clean their, their hands in a particular way. They've got to clean their feet because the, the roads are dusty. And so when they come into these places, they have to do some, um, there's a purification ceremony that Jews have to go through. And in walking through that purification ceremony, in their minds, they're thinking that they are clean before God. This is how they maintain their acceptability uh, in the eyes of God. But all that purification points to something. All that purification is merely a shadow. It's merely temporary. It doesn't purify them eternally. And so Jesus takes the pots that they think are going to purify them, that they think make them presentable to God. And he tells the servants, fill the pots with water. And they fill it to the brim. You know, I think that there's something really glaring in this story. You know, Jesus doesn't do anything special to turn water into wine. He doesn't do hocus pocus. He doesn't make a big uh, spectacle of himself. He doesn't say, wine! He just tells the servants to fill the water pots with water. And they do, and they fill it to the brim. What's Jesus telling us here? Jesus turns the water into wine. The deeper meaning of uh, this passage here that John wants us to see is that Jesus is the miracle worker. Jesus is the creator. In John chapter 1, verse 3, John says, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Friends, Jesus is the creator of water. Jesus is the creator of wine. Jesus is the creator of dirt. Jesus took dirt and made man from dirt. Jesus is the creator. And Jesus can take the wine that was has run, to dr- run dry in your life and he can create something new out of it. Mary had no idea that this is what Jesus was going to do. She assumed that he was going to take the wine containers and the wine flasks and make new wine. No, Jesus is taking the purification containers. And what he's saying to us is, it's not those things that purify you. It's me. It's the Lord 
Jesus Christ. And he wants to do something new. He is the creator. He is the recreator. And he can take the wine that has run out and make, produce, create new joy in your life. So if you lost your joy, has your wine run dry? You can't manufacture your own joy. Jesus is the true joy maker. And he wants to bring joy into your life that's going to last for eternity. That's the first thing he wants to see. And the second thing I've, I've already talked about, kind of jumped ahead of myself, is that Jesus is the true source for cleansing. And we see, when we see, when we see wine in the Bible, and when we see what Jesus can do in our lives, Jesus is the true cleanser of our life. He took the water pots. He said, I want to show these guys that I am far superior to what these pots can do. These pots can only cleanse the outside. And they are temporal. But Jesus is saying, I am the true cleanser. I can forgive you on the inside. And the way he forgives us on the inside is by believing what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus initiated the Lord's Supper, he said he took the cup and he blessed the cup. He said, this is my blood. That is shed for you. The blood for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus drank from the cup of suffering. The crucifixion. So that our lives could be cleansed. So that our lives could be redeemed. This is what Jesus is doing through this miracle. He is the true cleanser. And we must come to him and believe him. Believe his sacrifice. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12. It's on the screen this morning. He says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Hebrews 10.10, and by that will, we have all been made holy through the sacrifice of the body, Jesus Christ, once for all. Jesus is our true joy. Jesus is our true wine. Jesus is our true cleanser. And the Bible says that Jesus 
is our bridegroom. The church, we're the bride. And Jesus is our bridegroom. And when we believe and know that Jesus suffered and died for our salvation, when we believe that he's the creator and he can make us brand new and when we surrender our life to him, we become his child. We're no longer a slave. We sung, sang about that this morning. And Jesus becomes our bridegroom. And the Bible says that one day that there is going to be a joy, there is going to be a new wine that's going to last for all eternity. We're going to be celebrating in the presence of Jesus at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And our cleanser, our bridegroom, Jesus Christ says that he's going to clothe us with new garments, white garments, garments of righteousness. A righteousness that we can't earn in and of ourselves. It's only through the person of Jesus. Look what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. The Apostle John, who wrote John chapter 2, the book of John, wrote Revelation 2. And this is what he says. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's us, the church. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These these are the true words of God. Church, that's what we have to look forward to. That is the joy that's going to last for all eternity. And we need to ground ourselves in this truth. The disciples, Mary, they saw Jesus perform this miracle. They saw Jesus perform lots of miracles. As they lived their life and they followed Jesus, it wasn't just a all high all the time. There were lots of valleys. There were lots of lows in following the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not where their joy came from. Their joy came from being grounded in the person of Jesus. Their joy is in knowing that this isn't all there is. And we can't afford to be living for our manufactured carrot that we keep following out there, that keeps getting us up every day. No, our joy needs to come from the person of Christ. Because wine is going to run dry. We're going to run up against dead ends. 
life is going to disappoint you. All your earthly dreams are not going to come through, come, come true. But there is a person who will never ever fail you. And that's Jesus. The bridegroom of John chapter two, imperfect family. Their resources ran dry. The bridegroom of heaven, that the church is married to, his resources are never, ever going to run dry. The answer is always Jesus. And John has wrote these words this morning for us that we might believe Jesus. Jesus wants to manifest his glory to you. But for him to manifest his glory, you've got to believe Jesus. Stop chasing your dreams and start living for his purpose for your life. It might include your dreams. But those dreams might run dry. And that doesn't mean that life is over. Jesus wants to do something new. Because he is the creator of real wine. Eternal joy. He wants to cleanse your life for all eternity. And he did that through the work on the cross. And you must believe that he did it for you. And surrender your life to him. Let's pray. God, I pray that all of us here in this room would experience the deeper meaning of this story. I pray for some in this room right now that, God, their their dreams haven't come to fruition. Their wine has run dry. The door has been slammed. Jesus, you are the God of the new creation. And you want to do something that we can't do for ourselves. And and God, we have no idea what that is. Mary had no idea how you were going to turn and provide more wine for this reception. But she knew you were the answer. Father, I pray that for people who are hurting in this room this morning, the wine's run dry, that they would call out to you. They would go to you and believe you for something new that you want to do. God, if there's one here who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, it starts by believing. If 
Jesus is calling to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. The Bible says, I will give you rest. Jesus will give you rest. He will give you new wine, new joy, forgiveness, his righteousness. Call on his name this morning. Jesus, save me. Father, I pray that as we leave here this morning, we would all leave believing, believing, Jesus, who you are. Because John wanted us to see you manifest your glory to us. God, be glorified in this time of invitation, in this time of worship as we stand amazed in your presence. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me, please?